Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is God's Innkeepers by Pastor Sean Wood. Father, we thank you for all that you have done for us. What a, what a privilege to celebrate that so freely here this morning. As we open your word, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be open and our spiritual ears would also be open. Lord, we invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us this morning. In your wonderful name. Amen. If you've got your Bibles and would like to meet me in Luke chapter 10, uh, today I want to uh, take the opportunity, uh, seeing how uh, you'll notice that there's still some people um, that are coming through the throes of COVID and coming out of the, uh, and still a couple of people that are coming out of that, and we uh, continue to pray for them. But that has allowed me and afforded me the opportunity um, to just take a couple of Sundays to th- this week and possibly even next week just to a couple of standalone messages before we jump back into the book of Revelation. And my hope today is to share my heart with you. I hope to do this every year, but just what is my heart and what is our heart as a leadership here for church just where we go? I'm not a, a for those that are wondering, I'm not a huge Vision Sunday kind of guy. I'm not against those things. I just... It's not how I'm wired. I'm not a word for the year kind of guy. I I believe God actually unfolds his vision before us and we walk in that and I pray that he would continue to do that. But why the rock and kind of why why do I believe that we're here? Uh, That's kind of where my heart is today uh, and I hope to share that. I hope to do so by going a little bit deeper into one of my favourite parables, which is the parable of the Good Samaritan. I know when we read that, I know when we look through the parable of the Good Samaritan, we may apply that as, well, we should be the people that uh, should go out of our way to show mercy. And if that's you, that's great. Please keep doing that. Uh, but I wonder whether we could scratch beneath the surface today. And I wonder whether we could unpack uh, the, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan is deeply soaked in gospel. And I hope to dig beneath the surface and unpack that. And many people will know that when I was in Tasmania, I had a range of jobs. You could say that I was a, a jack of all trades, but a master of none. I, I, I had many, many jobs. Uh, one of them that I had, uh, I have a confession to make. Um, for those who don't know my testimony, when I was in Tasmania, I was heavily involved for a period of time in drug manufacturing. I, legally in a morphine factory making medicinal morphine. Sorry, I probably should have cleared that up. Uh, uh, it was interesting that half the church went there, told you, right? Uh, still manufacturing, are we? Yeah, okay, no worries. Uh, I haven't been handing out one. But anyway, uh, of all the places I've worked, that was the only place I hated. I couldn't wait to get out of there. I think I was there for six months. And when I did finally uh, say to the manager, look, I'm going to hand in my notice. And he said, why? Uh, why are you leaving? I said, look, uh, I was a little bit less pastoral then. I said, look, if I don't leave, uh, either I'm on the six o'clock news or we're all on the six o'clock news. <laughs> so how about we just part ways? But uh, I always wanted to work in a factory, actually, and uh, I always wanted to do shift work in a factory, and I found my, my dream job, but I don't like the mentality of a factory. Uh, we, it was an up-and-coming, reasonably new factory. It's not the uh, Johnson & Johnson one that's been there. It has alkaloids for some time. Uh, but it was a reasonably new factory. It was up and coming. Uh, it was run by uh, a raft of foreign people, great people, but they were here on working visas. And the mentality was always more, more, more. Uh, how can we get more out of the workers? How can we push the machines harder? Uh, they, just for an example, I think uh, uh, one of the machines that I was running, Basil will know what these machines are, is a Spadoni. Uh, now, they had... 
they said best conservative estimates is we can do a full cycle on the Spadoni in 40 hours. That's what it was when I got there. By the time I left, I was doing two cycles in a 12-hour shift. And uh, I had problems with the Spadoni, and I rang the maintenance guy, and I said, I can't work out what's wrong with this machine. He said, that's simple. He said, you're pushing it far too hard and far too fast. But that was the mentality, push hard, push fast. And uh, it was all about more, more, more. We were never happy with what we had. We were always wanting more. And then uh, some years before, I'd worked in the forestry, completely different mentality. And when we were in the forestry, there was two option lots. There was pulp, which was get it to 10 to 12 years, run it through a machine and send the chips to Japan. Then there was option two woodlots. And those option two woodlots would carry over for 25 years, and the mentality was enormously different. The mentality was uh, there was tender care right from the outset because you wanted to maximise the potential in each and every Tree. It wasn't about more. We weren't trying to plant more trees or increase the borders of the coop. Our, the whole mentality was uh, how, do we, how do we take this from a very small seedling uh, to something that is six, uh, all of your floor veneers, all of the laminates, uh, timber laminates and so forth come from these logs, on peeler logs. And we would spend expensive t- uh, extensive time pruning, form pruning sometimes, but it was all about how you planted and how you fertilised, and, and it was about uh, maximising the potential in each tree. The mentality was enormously different. Uh, my heart, as we come into uh, Western culture, my, my heart bleeds at times when I hear language that means churches are becoming far too more like a factory and less like... Forestry Cooper. My heart is we sometimes the language can be instead of focusing maybe on the 100, 200 people we have, we're always focused on the 200 we don't have and how can we get more people in? And I'll be, I'll be upfront and open. We make space here for God. Uh, if you, you'll notice that there's, that there's chairs that are empty, God, please fill them. We, making spa- we make space in our youth group and our kids rock. There's always space for God to fill, but our heart is to be able to, uh, Lord, how can we maximise the potential in each one? Uh, I think Paul writing to the Corinthians, if I can read you a passage of scripture to kind of set the scene of where we want to go today. Paul's writing to the Corinthian church. They were, uh, these guys, as I've said before, these guys didn't swing from the rafters at all. They used to pitch their tent and and live up there. But, you know, Paul writes concerning some divisions. Some people said, you know what? Uh, theologically, I'm, I'm, I'm aligned with Paul. And others say, well, you know what? I reject Paul, and I'm aligned with Apollos. And Paul's like, are you guys crazy? Like, who are we anyway? And then in verse 6 of chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. And our heart here, I'm going to expand on this in a moment, but our heart here is that there would be an environment and an atmosphere here where God can give the increase. Our prayer as a leadership here is, Lord, use us to plant, use us to water, use us to feed, use us to care, use us to to tend, but Lord, you are the one that gives the increase. And we have witnessed that in the five years that that I've been here, uh, and, and no doubt previously as well. And the whole... Uh, our whole heart is, you know what, if you've got a healthy tree, you'll have abundance of fruit. Um, and it is really a privilege to be able to partner with God. Listen to the language that Paul goes on. He says, so neither he, knew pl- he who plants nor he who waters is anything. 
Good point, Paul, but only God who gives the growth. Verse 8, he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labour. Verse 9, for we are God's fellow workers. What a passage that is. We are God's fellow workers, you are God's field. And God's building, and I love that language that Paul uses. Uh, today, uh, I hope to kind of, what does that look like for us here? What does, how does that, you know, uh, this is more than um, some concrete slabs that are thrown up for us. This, I hope today to unpack what our heart is here as a church. For those that have met me in uh, Luke chapter 10 and the parable of the Good Samaritan, a couple of things real quick when we approach parables. What is Jesus doing? Why, why speak in parables? Jesus was very intentional with parables. He took what was common in the physical world to be able to convey a deep spiritual truth to those he was talking to. And the interpretation of a parable often lies either in a conversation before or after or questions that were asked surrounding that parable. And the parables nearly always have one main point and a variety of depth that surrounds that. And today we'll unpack all of those. But first... Let's set the scene. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? You got it wrong when you used the word do, champ. But anyway, let's keep going. He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? That's masterful of Jesus. You're a lawyer. How do you interpret it? And he answered, great answer, by the way, for those that are about to read this answer. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. And you shall love your neighbour... As yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly, do this and you will live. A couple of things, real quick, before we go any further. If you are seeking to justify yourself, please don't do it in the presence of Christ. But he desiring to justify himself, that word justify is to place or to deem ourselves to be right. He wants to make himself right. I'm going to unpack the question in a moment. But he's desiring to justify himself. He says to Jesus, And who is my neighbour? Unpacking that question, what he's really asking is, he's got no problem. What's interesting is, he doesn't ask Jesus, who is God? Because he thinks, I've got everything sorted out in the vertical side of things. Uh, My vertical relationship with God is all good, and if it wasn't, you couldn't tell anyway. But I want to be able to justify myself. In fact, what he's really asking is, because a neighbour was somebody considered to be a friend or a companion, what he's really asking Jesus is, who is worthy for me to consider them my friend and my companion? Who is worthy that I would extend that kind of love to somebody. Who is that person and who is my neighbour? I want to justify myself because I'm not displaying that to everybody. So Jesus will answer that question and we will thoroughly answer that question by the time we get to the end. Uh, That word neighbour, hang on to that word, but Jesus replied to him, now we enter the parable, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho And he fell among robbers who stripped him, beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Jesus begins by telling them something they would have known. Now, I'm going to go from memory now because I'm actually not sure 100% of the figures. But I'm I'm led to believe that Jerusalem is 2,300 feet above sea level. And I'm led to believe that Jericho is 1,300 feet below sea level. So a very short journey of, I think, 17 miles 
you have to descend 3,600 feet to get to Jericho. It was well known that that road was a very dangerous road. It was a very hazardous road. It was a very steep road. It had many blind turns and corners. And it was also known to be fraught with danger with robbers. Jesus was very intentional when he picked the road from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And have a look at what happens to this man. First question that comes to everybody that's listening to Jesus is, why is this guy travelling alone? (laughs) Why is he on his own in one of the most dangerous treks? And don't we all make silly decisions and choices, foolhardy choices that find us on this road? How many people, when I read this, might say, you know what, that road sounds like life for many of us. In fact... If I can jump forward to the end, maybe all of us at some point in time at least are this man that finds himself on the road from Jerusalem down to Jericho. How many of us have said, well, I've had moments and seasons in my life when I felt stripped, when I felt robbed, when I felt beaten and left half dead and could not get up on my own? Can I tell you, we see people like this in Foodlink every single week. Every week. I see people like this at the gym. They think they've got it all together. You know the ones that can, you know, they look like they've got it all together on the outside, but you know full well, I know people like this when I'm out and about and I'm having conversations with people. I know people like this that have millions of dollars in the bank and they say, I'm as empty today as I was when I had nothing. I feel like life has chewed me up, spat me out and left me for dead. Anybody ever felt like that at any point in time? Anybody ever had circumstances like that? Anybody ever come to the end of relationships that maybe you find yourself in that position? The reality is most of us, if not all of us, have found ourselves in that position. Verse 31, now by chance. (laughs) I know I've said many times that there's no such thing as coincidence or chance and I know everybody's going to say, well, there it is right there, Pastor, but the Greek word there means to uh, means events that happen in accordance with divine arrangement. So you still don't get away with it. You know that song, He's Always Working? Sometimes we make silly decisions and we go from Jerusalem down to Jericho and sometimes God says, hey, listen, why don't we go for a walk from Jerusalem down to Jericho? And sometimes people make that path very easily and others find themselves amongst robbers all the time. Now, by chance, and and Jesus doesn't use a name here. When Jesus uses a name, parable of Lazarus and the rich man, that's a message for another day. We don't have time today. But when he does, it's deliberate and intentional. When he doesn't, it's also intentional. This isn't about a particular person. This is about a character. Uh, Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other Yes, when you immediately read that, you will say, isn't he the one you would expect to stop? Yes. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, notice that both the priest and the Levite see him. You you know when you're walking down the street and in the distance is is somebody you know from church that you don't really want to speak to, so you kind of do this kind of thing, pretend that I didn't see them kind of thing. Oh, you don't do that? Is that, just, is that just me, or do you guys do that to me? 
there's actually no getting away with it. These guys saw him, saw him in the condition he was and passed by on the other side. And, and what Jesus is alluding to here, this, this goes deeper than a couple of people walking past a guy that's copped a flogging on the way down to Jericho. It goes far deeper than that. What Jesus wants uh, everybody that's listening to him to know, because what does the priest and the Levite represent? Everything to do with the Levitical order, everything to do with your dry, dry stale religiosity, all of your rule keeping, all of your pharisaical religion. Uh, he wants you to know that when, when religion comes your way, it's going to leave you half dead on the, on the side of the road and pass you by. It does not have the power or the ability to lift you up. Oh, that God would take away the dry, stale religiosity in our own hearts, We don't have ceiling fans here. Some, some churches have ceiling fans just so people don't raise their hands in worship. <laughs> I'm joking. We're thinking of putting them in, to be honest. No. <laughs> but the reality is, uh, and this is why I love Tozer so much, because Tozer came from a very conservative background, a very dry, stale background, and he researched all of the mystics, and he said, you know what, there's a really happy medium here. We don't have to swing from the rafters over here and we don't have to dry stale cobweb religion over here. We can actually live a life in the presence of God experiencing him in his fullness and that's the heartbeat. So by chance a priest was going down the road and when he saw him he passed by on the other side and likewise a Levite when he came to that place saw him and passed by on the other side verse 33 I'm now going to read through to the end of the parable as we sort of come to the pointy end but a Samaritan here's the contrast why use a Samaritan well Jesus deliberately uses a Samaritan because the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other it's kind of kind of north side south side kind of stuff um, it's kind of like Launceston Hobart if you're in Tasmania it's uh, it, 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 they had deep theological differences uh, and it was actually considered unclean for a, uh, a, uh, a Jew to associate uh, with a Samaritan. So he is the least likely one that you would expect that is going to pull up stumps and come across to his aid. But a Samaritan, listen to the language now. As he journeyed, came to where he was, I love this, and when he saw him, something happens. He had compassion. I want to unpack that word before we go any further because it's a really, really important word. You will read, as you read through the Gospels, you will read instances where it says, Jesus, looking upon the crowds, had compassion upon them. You will read that Jesus, seeing the condition of the man, had compassion upon him. And what compassion means, it means in the Greek to be moved in our inward parts. It's, it's not indigestion, but it, it means to be moved. It actually directs us to an action. Uh, compassion means not only do I see your suffering, here's the really big difference. Uh, not only do I see your suffering, like the priest and the Levite, I'm actually going to step into your suffering with you to bring you aid. And uh, for those that are sitting here going, you know, God's called me to be a pastor, that's exactly what it means. Home group leaders, elders, fathers, What compassion means is we step into somebody else. I, I wish I, there, can I be honest for a moment? I wish I had a magic wand. 
I don't know how many times I've sat across the table from somebody and thought, I wish I had a magic wand and I could just go zap. I don't have that. I don't have it. I wish I did. I know God can heal and we certainly reach out, but, but my call is to step into the furnaces of life to take you by the arm and to walk through those furnaces with you. That's what pastoring looks like. That's what we're all called to do, actually. We're all called to show compassion. That's what Jesus did. Jesus stepped into our sin, our muck, and our sh- more about this in a moment, but he stepped into our shame. He had compassion on us. That's the difference with the Samaritan. He had compassion. Look what compassion does. Uh, he went to him. He doesn't stand on the other side of the road and say, hey, come over here, champ, uh, when you're ready. You know, he goes over to him, listen to this, and he bound up his wounds, uh, pouring on oil and wine. Who's got the oil and the wine? Then he set him on his own animal, stay with me now, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, listen to the language that's coming, and he gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him and whatever you spend, listen to the language now, I will repay when I come back. Fast forward to the end of the Revelation series when we get to chapter 22 of Revelation when Jesus says, Behold, I'm coming soon and I have my recompense in my hand. As we come to the end uh, of this and we begin to ask ourselves, Who are we in this parable? Can I stretch this morning? Can we dig a little bit deeper? And maybe we are the innkeepers. When we have a look at the person of the Samaritan, can we, can we press the pause button for a moment? And, and when we're trying to find out who is my neighbour and what does that look like, uh, and we're going to get to the point when we get to the end, but, but can, we, can we stretch for a moment and dig a little bit deeper? Did God not make us his neighbour? When we're using language of the Samaritan where it says he went to him, did God not come to us in the person of Jesus Christ? Did he not step into our suffering? Did he not, does he not bind up our wounds? Is he not the one that comes with the wine of the new covenant, washing and cleansing us? Is he not the one that has the oil of the Holy Spirit? And our wonderful Saviour finds, found us at one point, but continues to find people laying on the side of the road of life, broken battered, bruised and wounded and he brings them to the inn. Welcome to God's inn this morning. And he charges us, the innkeepers, take care of them. And can I tell you this morning as we're coming towards a conclusion, unless there is oil and wine inside of these walls, it's a concrete slab, friends. I've known deep companionship when I was playing football. I'd play football with 17 other guys that had my back. If I wasn't at football, they used to ring and say, what's wrong with you? What's the difference? In here, the broken find healing. And God gives us his two denarii, his resources, to 
take care of them. And whatever we spend, he will pay us back. Underneath that word care is an enormous, an enormous amount of sermons, I'm sure. But God, has, these are the kind of words that keep pastors up at night. What Jesus has charged us to do is he brings the broken and says, take care of them. Let's read to the end of the passage. Verse 36, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbour? I love how Jesus flips this. He's not even going to answer the man's question. The man's question is, who is my neighbour? Who is worthy for me? No, no, no. Jesus is saying, you know what, forget that. I'm not going to distinguish who your neighbour is. What I'm going to do is charge you to be a neighbour. Which one of these was a neighbour? Interesting how the man doesn't say the Samaritan. Listen to his answer. Uh, Which one of these three do you think proved to be a neighbour to the man who fell among the robbers? Verse 37, he said, the one who showed him mercy. Mercy, uh, biblically, the, the New Testament word for mercy assumes the need on the part of the one who requires it and the adequate resources of the one giving it. That's why God's so merciful. His resources are boundless. His, his resources of mercy. What does Jesus say? He said to him, the one who showed him mercy, and Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So who is... What does it look like to be a neighbour? Well, it looks like we go out to a broken, busted up world with wine and oil in our hands, binding up people's wounds in the name of Christ. But when God brings them here, our heart here as a church is that you will find a place to heal. I've only been a pastor for a very short time. I've only been a pastor for five years, but this I know, people inside these walls find themselves amongst the robbers as well. I've spoken to people who will tell you that life has chewed them up and spat them out as well. My heart and my prayer is that you would find oil and that you would find wine inside of these walls. I don't know who has ever seen the movie Lone Survivor, my, my boys forced me to make them watch it. Uh, I don't know who watched the movie Lone Survivor. I've referenced it a few times. It's a story about four Navy SEALs. Uh, four go in, one comes home. Lone Survivor. I don't know if anybody's ever watched it all the way to the end, but if you want to know what Good Samaritan looks like, watch this movie and watch it to the end. But what happens is four Navy SEALs go in, they're charged to take out a man, they find him, But in the process, a couple of goat herders find them. They make a decision, the right decision. They let them go. These guys run down to the village. Next thing you know, they're surrounded. Three men are killed. One almost, well, they should have been killed. And uh, for those that have watched the movie, he finds himself in a creek, can't walk, busted up legs, everything like that. And uh, one of the guys from the village stumbles on him. And he takes him home because there's this, like, pact that they have. If you find somebody in need, you must not leave them there until you restore them. Takes this guy home, fights off the Taliban when they come looking for this Navy SEAL. Mark Luttrell, for those that are wondering, you can Google him later. Uh, Takes him home, fights off the Taliban to try and protect him at almost the expense of their own lives and their entire village 
until the Americans finally come in. Of course, Hollywood makes it look like it just at the right time, right? I, I get all of that. But that doesn't remove from the story, and that's what we are charged to do. Isn't that, isn't that so much like two completely opposite people? That's so much like God and us. God and man were so far apart, but God comes to us. Takes us in. And we are called to go and do likewise. When we read through the parable of the Good Samaritan, it's a very, very deep parable, and it's soaked, soaked in gospel. But the charge here for us is to not only preach the gospel, but to live the gospel and to extend the gospel to all in every way that we can. We are all God's innkeepers. It's not just the pastor and it's not just the leadership of the church, but we are all God's innkeepers charged with taking care of those that come through these walls. And I say that because we are asking God to move and I believe that he will and he is. We're asking God, I'm praying, God, we've still got empty seats, you might as well just keep bringing people in, God. But that's going to look messy. I don't know if you've noticed, but there's some messy people out there that need a lot of oil and a lot of wine. God's charged us to take care of them. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that as we read through this parable, we are reminded of the fact that we didn't find you, you found us. We didn't save ourselves. Lord, you reached out and you saved us. Lord, I thank you that this parable highlights how deeply you have shown mercy to us and, Lord, models for us how we should show mercy. Father, we pray for, we pray for this place to be filled with oil, the wonderful oil of the Holy Spirit, We pray, Lord, that this place would be filled with the wonderful wine that cleanses us, frees us and liberates us from our sins. We pray that you would use each and every one of us as your innkeepers, Lord God, as you bring in the broken, that, Lord, we would take care of them. Father, we thank you for that privilege today. We pray for your wisdom and your guidance as a church as we move forward. And Father, we commit into your hands. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.